I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, co-founder of Plant-Based Telehealth. In today's webinar, we actually spoke about everything relating to the immune system. We spoke about how to keep the immune system in balance. So let's say that you were actually exposed to an illness, you were gonna have a better chance to recover. And then also about how to keep the immune system from overreacting, which could lead to things like autoimmune disease. You can join us for our free live Q&As with the plant-based doctors every Sunday at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. To find out how to register, check out plantbasedtelehealth.com or you can check us out on Facebook at Plant-Based Telehealth. We are making plant-based lifestyle medicine available to everyone who desires it. With telemedicine, we are removing barriers that prevent many people from accessing this type of care. Lifestyle medicine promotes healthy behaviors and when adopted, individuals can expect improvement and in many cases, reversal of chronic disease. Happy Easter, thanks for joining us today. Um, today we're gonna talk about, we started kind of an immune system health um, series the past last week and we've been talking about it amongst ourselves because it's so in the news right now and it's so very important that we protect our immune system and there's been a lot of questions from patients and friends and myths and and a lot about should we be boosting it should we be suppressing it is it safe to do a plant-based diet right now what should we be telling people and so we wanted to, to um, do a few things today we wanted to talk about an overview of the immune system what it means to have immune system health and whether we should be focusing on boosting it or suppressing it or what our goal should be with this. And, and then we want to introduce a healthy immunity challenge. And I like to call it a healthy immunity challenge because the, over, the goal is not just to do one or two things to the immune system, but to create balance, to create an overall healthy immune system. And that is what we'd like to offer you after we talk today a little bit and tell you how that's going to work. Fantastic. So there's any questions, go ahead and let's start that big. So Chris, let's start with, can you tell me a little bit about what that means to have an immune system that's in balance versus like boosting the immune system? Yeah, thank you. So the immune system is so, so, so important and now more than ever, right? And it's certainly getting a lot of attention, rightfully so. But the immune system has several functions and they, they're kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. So on one end, which is what we're talking about so much right now with um, coronavirus, is that it's a, it protects us. Our immune system is our army. It's, it's, I call it my guardian angel. It's there 24 hours, seven days a week when I'm sleeping, when I'm playing, when I'm goofing off, when I'm working, no matter what I'm doing, my immune system is there protecting me. And that needs to be, um, you want it to be functioning optimal. So this is what people are talking about boosting. Let's boost the immune system so it functions optimally. But ideally, if you boost it too much, then it becomes hyperactive and then it can turn into an autoimmune disease or chronic inflammation and never really quiet down or this, what they're saying, the cytokine storm um, where you're getting so many antibodies, you're getting this immune response, you're getting these chemicals being released and blood vessels are dilating and inflammation's happening out of control. Um, so you, those are all things that are too much immune system. On the other hand, you don't want it to be underactive because then it's also out of balance. And if it's underactive, you, it's not gonna be there to protect you against these viruses, these bacteria, these parasites. It's not gonna detect them. It's not gonna protect you against abnormal cells as they age and they get senescent, they're no longer functioning and your body needs to get rid of them. Or they go rogue, which is cancer and your body needs to get rid of it. So you really want your immune system in balance. You want it optimally function. You want it precise. You want it well-trained like soldiers that are good at what they do, just the right amount, they're out there, boom, they do their job, and then they're quiet, they quiet down. And interestingly, which is what I think is so fascinating, is that there's a lot we can do to affect how good our immune system works directly. We can directly influence our immune system, which is what the challenge is gonna be all about. Perfect, and so a, kind of an example of that in my own life was, so I was pregnant uh, with number two, Jonathan, who's gonna be 24 this month, and I was healthy. I had no health issues. I had, wasn't overweight. I didn't, I felt fine. A pregnancy, um, there was a few little complications in the beginning, um, but those weren't anything to do with an immune system or something. But over, after I had him, Jonathan was actually born with testing that showed he was hypothyroid. And then I was diagnosed hypothyroid about three, four months later. So Jonathan was retested two weeks later and he actually, the the hypothyroidism had resolved itself, but he went on to develop pretty significant um, learning disability and, and dyslexia and it's done great. I mean, he just graduated college, but now I've been dealing with that all the time. So that stressor, right, Chris, um, 
your immune system can be needs to be in balance so it can handle stress, even though stress of pregnancy, a stress of an illness, a lot of type one diabetics will become ill with the type one diabetes after like a cold or a flu. Um, so do you have any other thoughts on like stressors and how we can help prepare for that? Mm -hmm. So that's a really good example is the stressors. Um, and certainly there's a lot right now. Um, we're worried, right? Economically, we're worried about our health, our loved ones. We're worried about our all of our workers, essential workers out there right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of worry going on. And there's a humongous mind-body, mind-gut connection. And um, in addition to that, there's the mind, um, all of our thoughts are turned into what's released from our glands in the back of our brain, which go off to our adrenal glands, which go um, release there's over a hundred stress hormones and those stress hormones are going to elevate inflammation as well and keep this uh, propagating, keep the, keep everything continued. And so it doesn't quiet down. So our thoughts very, very significantly are, is a stressor to both our gut lining, which is a direct part of our immune system, which we'll talk about at some point, and as well as to our overall inflammation and, and how, um, and we, and we now have so many good studies that show that people who are worried and report stress, um, subjectively have significantly increased inflammatory markers. So their immune system is, is potentially overworking versus people who have a sense of calm. They may have the same problems in this world, but they're perceiving it differently. And it's your perception of that stress, which calms it all down and um, leads to very different reaction through our, our stress hormones in our bodies and, and how much, how our immune system is going to react to it. So that's just one great example of how we can control our immune system. Hence, when we talk about the challenge, you're gonna see activities like meditation or coloring books or getting outdoors and being mindful, feeling the wind and breathing the air or yoga, right? Everybody gets to choose what helps them relax, but um, that's what we're aiming to do is to, is to keep our immune system and the stressors in check and in balance. Yeah, I think that's also very important to understand that mind-body connection because during that pregnancy also, we were also preparing to move from Texas to Ohio because my husband mm -hmm. was active duty Air Force and I was supposed to be due to deliver during the time of moving. So um, that was very worrisome. <laughs> and um, so that, you know, all of those stressors, the mind-body, but there's a practice called noting that's really nice too. Like you had mentioned meditation, some coloring books, but you're just becoming aware of your surroundings. So if you think about your senses, right? So you have sight, smells, hearing, touch, taste. So if we're walking down the street, for example, and we're worried and we're just um, ruminating on things that are stressful, but instead step outside of your mind and start thinking about your different senses. So let's say you hear a dog barking. Oh, that's my hearing. I hear a dog barking. Oh, I, I see a bird flying, so I'm using my senses. So just noting the different senses, like what's going on with my eyes, my smell, I smell cherry blossoms, or you know, I take a deep breath and it's refreshing. Those are things to do as you're doing something to pull yourself out of your, whatever the trap is of the worry or the stressors that you might be in at the moment, because sometimes it's really hard to shut off the brain. So the other thing would be like a body scan that you can do what are my feet doing? <laughs> you know, how do I feel right now? My knees and all those different things. So just some ideas there um, for people who aren't used to meditating. I am not a very good meditator. Um, just not. I tried multiple times. Um, prayer works for me fairly well, but even then it's stressful to think long. To, like, I can't do this for more than five to 10 minutes. So for those who are like me and struggle with that. So guys, feel free to open up the questions. You know, if you have any questions, please type them in the Q&A box. And so Chris, what other activities have you seen your patients use to really help decrease stress, which will also you know, help balance our immune system? So that, those are great examples, Lori, what you described to me. And you're such a good example too, because you're not someone who can sit quiet and, and calm your brain. Like, and that's a very common thing with a lot of people, right? The monkey mind, it keeps going. Um, and so it does take some, it takes some practice to get to that meditation where you just feel comfortable sitting quietly. Um, but people can start with visual um, guided visualizations, which you, you listen to. Um, there's all sorts of good apps now. You can get download stuff on the computer. That's what I have done in the past. And it, it takes you into a nice happy field and you're taking your deep breaths and it puts you in a nice state of mind. And you don't have to be thinking it. You're just listening to what the tape says. And for those 10 minutes, you're 
doing what you're also saying when you become when you're noting things outside is you're becoming mindful you're only aware of this present moment right now you're very focused on the present the right now you're non-judgmental is how it's originally defined um by john Kabat-Zahn. but so so being being mindful and in, in the moment and so um when you're doing those things like your body scan or you're noting or um having people listen to the guided visualization you are just you're you're relaxing you're not thinking of all these um, stressful thoughts that are ruminating in your mind and your your body your stress hormones your levels can start coming down and your immune system can start bringing it back into balance into a normal instead of being in this hyperactive state so so i do a lot of that to start with with people that are um kind of having monkey mind and not enjoying the meditation. And then exactly what you described is those are mindful tricks. And I know you do a lot of work with mindfulness. Um, so so those mindful tricks, just going outside and, and noticing things. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you feel? The air on your face, the, the clouds, whether it's good or bad, it's non-judgmental. You're just there looking at it in a curious way. Like, oh, wow, isn't that curious? I feel the breeze on my cheeks. Oh, wow, isn't that curious? It's snowing out and it's April. Like, So you're being mindful. Um, so that also has been shown to lower those stress hormones and bring your immune system back in balance. Um, and then a big one that we do is things like music therapy. So music can totally put people in the zone and calm down the immune system. And it's they looked at all different kinds of uh, music. And while things like Beethoven and certain things have done really well, and but it's also what people like. So whatever someone likes is going to work for them. So there's no one right answer. If you don't like classical music, that's not going to relax your stress hormones and bring you back into a normal zone. So you do what you like. Um, and then there's things like um, creativity. That's a big one. So. What is it we all as we get busier and busier and stressed out and we have these full lives we forget about the things that bring us joy in our creativity so people who love to paint or play their guitar or write poems or all these things puts us in that zone right and really anything that puts you in that zone that flow that moment where you're really focused um, brings back your stress hormones it's going to bring you back to being mindful lower your stress hormones so i have patients do three things that and there's just so many things you can do breath work we work on you know breathing in slow then there's so many different types of breath work but you breathe in the idea i for whichever you end up choosing is to breathe in long and slow and out long and slow and in long and slow and out long and slow. and if you do it with gratitude while you're breathing in and you're having gravity gratitude this is heart math techniques that they train you and you can see your um, heart rate variability improving you can see your um, your body, your your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems coming back into balance. That's the, the flight and flight and the rest and restore, and it brings them back into balance when we're doing these slow, deep breaths and we're remembering gratitude. Um, so we work on things like that. We do things like gratitude journal, three to five things every day that you're grateful for that day and why you're grateful for it. Writing it down makes it more real, so we work on that. Um, and things like you said, prayer is a real good one for people who pray, but there's all different ones. So if you don't meditate well, you don't have to meditate. We don't want this to be a stressful thing. We just want to learn quiet time. We just want to learn ways to get you in the zone to help decrease the stress. So there's different techniques you can use. And so um, I have everyone try to do three a day, which doesn't have to take long at all. If you do the breath work, that's a minute. If you're mindful, you can go outside or go in a room in your house and be mindful for a few minutes throughout the day. Like it doesn't have to take long or be a major commitment, but um, it resetting yourself through the day is key. So it's really, really an important tool. Those are fantastic, Chris. Um, so just a couple of things to understand is when you were mentioning perception. So someone can have the same identical um, circumstances and go through the same difficult time but it's their perception of it. One can see it as an opportunity, doors are opening, even though we're going through the struggle. For example, right now, the COVID-19, many people see it as, of course, it's stressful financially and thing, but other times people are thinking, wow, this is actually forcing me to slow down. It's forcing me to connect with family and do these amazing things that we would not have otherwise done and really see the importance of certain things in life, right? Um, so that visualization sometimes just, you know, cause it's snowing outside now, <laughs> and so I can't go outside necessarily. I mean, I could, but it wouldn't be very enjoyable, but I can visualize, you know, somewhere that I love to be. And that also can be it. But I, I really easy that breathe in and out is um, using your hand. It's a, I think it came from somewhere in England. I can't remember the exact, but Dr. Jabur taught me this, but you just kind of breathe in and out, in and out, 
and like this, and you go through your hand back and forth, and that really helps. And I've used four, seven, eight breathing as well with patients and someone who had high blood pressure. Literally, we did one set of four, seven, eight breathing. Well, it's three sets, and her blood pressure dropped 20 points systolically, that top number, after breathing. So you're breathing in, you're, you're stimulating hormones and calming down and you're slowing down your heart rate. So there's just some helpful tips. Sorry, do you want to tell them what the four, seven, eight breathing is? Yeah, sure. Um, so four, seven, eight breathing, what was it? Dr. Wheel. Yeah. And he's the one that came up with this. That's where I read, I've been using it with patients for many years. And so basically you breathe in over four, four seconds, you hold your breath for seven, seven, then you breathe out over eight. Okay, and you repeat that four times. Um, why four, seven, eight? Um, I'd have to dive in to see why Dr. Will chose that, but any of those techniques of breathing are gonna be helpful. Um, but you do that four times and it is very relaxing, especially because you're focusing on the breathing. You're not focusing, you know, I, I find it funny that you call it, you know, monkey mind. It's like a Marvis monkey mind because I have a lot <laughs> of that going on. I have a lot of things going, oh, whoo, you know, the shiny object, what's next? Um, so that would be a, that's the way to do it. So it's four, breathe in over four, hold for seven, breathe out over eight, repeat four times. Um, Good studies on that when you breathe in and then you breathe out twice as long. So that's your breathing in for four and out for eight. Mm. It stretches your diaphragm, which triggers your vagus nerve. And so that's what, and for autoimmune people, like they're doing vagus, some of you doctors probably know more about this than I do, but they're doing vagus nerve implants for like rheumatoid arthritis, severe cases, and to try to trigger the sympathetic nervous system to slow down, to lower the infl inflammation, but just doing those breath works, breathing out for twice as long. So that's why um, it's, it is, it's such a powerful tool. Absolutely. So we got some questions here. Let's see what you think. Um, and like I said to Dr. Carney and to Dr. Grant, if you guys want to join us, let me know and I'll make you a panelist. All right. So Andrea, yeah. who I need to email you, Andrea, by the way, back, I apologize for that. Well, would you please comment on IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and known causes, risk factors and or contributors, although IBS can also be inflammatory bowel disease um, or but IBD, but um, some practitioners say IBS is very much a mentally induced, stress-induced condition. Others say that it's not true, that it is a veritable physiologic condition. I'd love to better understand IBS if that's within the parameters of the discussion. Thanks. Don't know if IBS is autoimmune related. Wow, that's a good question packed in with a lot of good stuff there. So I'll let any physician help answer after I give my answer because there's a lot of good stuff in that. Thank you for that question. Um, so IBS, we're going to go with irritable bowel syndrome, which in general is not an inflammatory bowel disease. So it's not autoimmune. It's, um, and usually people who are diagnosed with that um, often have had a workup already, meaning, and things are coming back negative. So they're negative for Crohn's disease or, or um, ulcerative colitis or other, or sclerosis of the gut, uh, other autoimmune issues. And it's more like a functional thing. But interestingly, IBS is a tough, tough one to talk about because I see it as sort of a wastebasket term. It means that we don't really know what's going on. And there's lots of different causes to IBS. So one person's IBS is going to look very different from the next person, from the next person, from the next person. And we can have 10 people all with different reasons for their IBS. Again, this, this um, catch term that means it's more of a functional thing. So I always think it's a good thing in one sense because we don't yet have pathologic findings. They, people will get scoped and they don't see necessarily anything. Sometimes they might see a little inflammation, but in general, it's not like the full-blown where there's actual pathology. So, um, so there's a lot of factors that can contribute to it. So what does that mean? So it, some of the factors that can contribute to that we look for in it is um, one is what's called dysbiosis. So that means the bacteria, the microbiome, those 39 trillion that we have, most of them in our gut, um, supposed to be in our lower colon, they can be out of balance. And they, they can be out of balance in several different ways. One, they're just out of balance. So we have a balance of these uh, protective and less protective, more pathogenic bacteria. And so you can, if they get out of balance, these pathogenic ones start overtaking it, that can destroy the whole part of the gut lining and then the epithelial, those cells of the gut. So that will bring it out of balance and lead to IBS type symptoms. Or you could have the, um, the bacteria supposed to be in your lower colon. So what happens if people take proton pump inhibitors, or their gut isn't functioning as well, or they don't eat enough fiber, or they take other medications, or it's several other reasons, but that those um, bacteria migrate up to the small intestine. And so they cause gas and bloating there and discomfort, sometimes nausea, things like that, and a fullness. And that is also IB, considered IBS. 
but for a different cause, a little bit different cause, and that is what we call SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Those bacteria that are supposed to be in the colon protecting us and taking care of us are now up in the small intestine fermenting um, high fiber foods and causing excess gas and bloating. So that's another cause for IBS. Another cause for IBS is um, things like leaky gut, and that is um, the gut lining itself gets damaged, and that's often secondary to the microbiome getting damaged. But um, the gut lining becomes damaged. It's only one cell layer thick. And so what happens when you get this leaky gut is you start getting um, bigger proteins and peptides that are proteins that haven't fully broken down into their amino acids migrating across the bacteria. The microbiome can migrate across. Toxins can migrate across. And that can cause inflammation. That can cause um, irritation and inflammation. Um, it can, but there is a big component. So where you are at your question is, and those are just some of the examples of the more common ones that I see, but your question about the mind-body part of it is, is there a role, is it related to that? And it absolutely is, and all of our gut is related to mind-body. And so our thoughts, there's the vagus nerve that we're talking about, the vagus nerve has many branches and it's going to our heart, it's going to our lungs, it's going to all of our intestines and it's going right back up. They are in so much communication back and forth all the time with our thoughts. And so um, there's so much evidence now that we don't want to eat when we're stressed out. This was a thing with me, I'm an emergency room doctor, and I know Dr. Carney, you are too, but you work in the ER and you're wolfing down your food and then you're going on to your next patient. And so I'm stressed out, I'm in a busy shift, I'm wolfing down my food. And so my thoughts, my stressful thoughts are going to my gut right there. And you know, I was talking about the sympathetic and parasympathetic. Sympathetic is that fight and flight, go, 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 go. When you're in sympathetic mode, as we often are, um, the gut, it shuts down the gut. It slows digestion. So our gut is no longer digesting. It's not um, metabolizing nutrients. It's not absorbing nutrients. It's not doing what it's, gonna, what it's supposed to do. And that can lead to gas and bloating and discomfort and bad digestion overall, all these problems, as well as dysbiosis and the gut microbiome being out of balance. And so our, we want to slow it down, slow down those stressful thoughts, eat slowly, eat mindfully, um, chew our food real well, and send a message to our gut that we're in parasympathetic, we're chill, life is good, and the gut kicks in. It's going to digest now, it's going to absorb nutrients, it's going to do its job, it's going it's to um, help us feel healthy. So, so when people are in IBS, um, have IBS as well as autoimmune, as well as any inflammatory our thoughts absolutely are affecting it. And so we'll see that we um, get poor digestion, worsening of symptoms. And some people live with this chronic high stress and that is their major trigger. And so when I work with my IBS patients and um, Lori and the other doctors out there probably do something similar, but um, we talk about food and nutrition, but we always approach um, our thoughts and our stress and how we manage it. But I do that for my autoimmune too. It's not unique to IBS but um, it's such an important component. I find you can't heal one without dealing with the whole picture. No, I think that's, you summed it up nicely and hit some really major points. But the other thing is they call it the second brain for a reason. So there's a lot of interconnections, nervous system at attacking the gut. So there's more nervous system attachments and speaking in highways than actually leaving your spinal cord that's going to the gut. So it's really important. So if you think about it, when you ever had that gut intuition or the butterflies in your stomach, I mean, there's things going on here that we don't understand. So they're talking to each other. So really, really very well said. And um, I think that hopefully that'll answer your question. Beyond you have to look for, of course, removing dairy and offending foods, but we're talking to people are plant-based. <laughs> um, so Dr. Grant had a question. Can you talk about sleep? Chris is one of your favorite things, and it's direct, or at least speaking about, effects right. on immune balance, and also what is ideal amount of and type of sleep, and sleep tips we might not already know. Mm, good questions, Jessica. Thank you. Um, so sleep is something I talk about a lot, and I really work on myself because I'm not a good sleeper, and I think, again, as a med student and emergency room doctor, I'm used to being up all night and, and just go, 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 and um, I'm still working on a good sleep hygiene to get regular sleep, but um, our sleep directly affects all these things as well. So, so we used to say, um, like when I was a med student, we would say, I'll sleep when I'm dead, meaning there's so much to do right now, like I don't need to sleep. But 
now we know that if you don't sleep as much, you'll die sooner. So as far as what we're talking about now with the immune system and just overall health, when we're sleeping, that's when we're getting the rest and repair. We're pushing out toxins in our body. We're repairing ourselves. Um, we're fixing broken DNA. We're getting like get rid of toxins. Like I said, we're cleaning house at nighttime. So if we, a couple things, one, if we're not getting the, the sleep that we need, we don't have time to do that repair of ourselves. Um, we don't have time to clean house and, um, if we, for example, if we eat late at night, now we know there's good science not to eat within at least three hours before you go to bed because you don't want to use your energy. When you're sleeping, I don't want my body digesting food. Energy is going into digestion. I want my body repairing me and healing me and, and um, fixing those broken DNAs and getting rid of all that waste. And so um, I purposely am going to sleep on an empty stomach, not in a stressful mood um, to help get that repair. Other things that happen when we sleep, again, talking to stress is cortisol levels fall. And that's a real important one. And so um, like for me, when I was go, go, go awake all night, I'm, I'm living on high cortisol and that's extremely dangerous. You want to get your melatonin to kick in, which is going to override all your other hormones and calm everything down. You want to rest, reduce your cortisol. You want to reduce your insulin, right? You're not eating. So glucagon can kick in and hormones, basically our hormones are falling into balance. Our inflammation, general inflammation is decreasing. Our memories are being made. The first half we're making memories and the second half we're or I can't remember, I actually look at that. I can't remember how that is, but I think it's the second half you're solidifying, or the first half you're solidifying memories and the second half you're stabilizing emotions. Um, so if you don't sleep, if you don't get into the four stages of sleep, um, that can be a problem. And so we hear all this about sleep now. There's just so much more about sleep, which is fascinating to me. It also affects our microbiome. So we're circadian beings and even our microbiome is circadian, that there's different ones that are more active at nighttime from the ones that are more active at daytime. The gut shuts down at night. We're not meant to digest food at night. So it's no longer, it's not peristalsing as well. It's not absorbing nutrients. It's quiet. It's sleeping. It's repairing itself. That one cell layer of the epithelium has to repair and that's happening at night. So you really don't want food sitting in your stomach and your gut all night um, so that it doesn't have to worry about digesting it and all that food just sitting there. But the microbiome itself is not meant to be detoxifying and, and at nighttime or, or, or digesting food. It's meant to be doing other things. Other bacteria kind of become more prominent at night. And that's why we have these very, very diverse, very variable um, uh, microbiomes so that different ones have different roles. And so we know that to be true now too. Um, so, and there's really good studies now that as far as the immune system goes, that if you get less than six hours of sleep a night, that you, um, you are, I think it was four times more likely to get a common cold. And so um, your immune system is definitely enhanced. It's more precise. It's doing its job correctly. Um, it's, it's in balance when we get at least six hours of sleep. And, um, and so here we are with this crazy virus running around and if any of us get exposed to it, hopefully we're getting more than six hours of sleep a night so that at least we have you know, a good chance that our immune systems are gonna be doing what they're supposed to do optimally. Um, and they know that from taking med students and um, they injected uh, flu virus into their nose and they um, watched how much they slept and they were able to see who was able to, who got it and not. Um, as far as tips to sleep better, uh, this is a tough one. I work on this a lot with myself and my patients, but um, sleep hygiene, I sort of start with sleep hygiene. And what that means is creating a sleep routine. Um, what you do at night, you want to you set your body to rest and repair and, re and get it into landing mode, sort of like it's going to go to sleep. And I think of it like an airplane's flying. This is you all day. You're awake. You're not going to just boom, be asleep. You don't like turn off your computer. Okay, good night. Like that's not how your body works. You've got to give it time to kind of unwind, relax, and then you go to sleep. And so that's where the last hour, depending on the person, but at least usually about an hour, um, for me now it's even a little more, maybe an hour and a half, but I turn off my computer. I'm not on emails. I'm not taking important calls. I'm not having big conversations about politics or the coronavirus or any of this at nighttime because that's too much stress on me at night and I won't be able to sleep. Um, so all of that, it's quiet time. So what am I doing? I'm reading a book or a magazine or um, journaling, writing my gratitude, doing some gentle stretches, um, things that I want to do. It's my personal time. I feel like we earn it. We get that little time at night. So uh, I have that. And then having a routine. So you brush your teeth, you get everything ready. So your body starts knowing, okay, I'm brushing the teeth. This must be a sign that um, it's the same routine every day. It's getting ready to go to bed. Lights down at night. So um, bright light, um, blue light actually wakes you up. 
it suppresses your melatonin and you want your melatonin to be high. So red light actually does not do that. So you can have red light. Um, so I have some red night lights and red lamps at nighttime where I just turn the lights real low. Um, so I'm not in any bright light and that supposed to be, um, supposedly we do better if, if we follow the natural lighting. So when it's light out and dark out, but our seasons are so crazy that I don't do that. So obviously I use my lights, but so you turn down the lights at night um, you want to ideally be on track where you go to bed around the same time every night and wake up the same time every morning. And if you're tired, you don't sleep in longer, you go to bed earlier. You want to always be waking up the same time every day on your own without an alarm because your body is then telling you what you want. And so you want to get into this rhythm. Again, we're circadian beings. The more of a rhythm we can get into, the more our bodies are going to be happy with that. So, um, and then things like avoiding caffeine during the day. Some people are so sensitive, even a cup of tea in the morning, they're not going to fall into that deep sleep. Um, because the half-life depends how fast they metabolize caffeine, but some people who are slow metabolizers may still have that little bit and they don't fall in that deep sleep. Um, whereas other people are fine. They can drink tea and coffee throughout the day and they can sleep just fine. So that's something we experiment with people. Alcohol, um, it turns out to be more of a stimulant about three to five hours after you drink it. So um, people who drink al alcohol will play with that for them. So they're, 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 that's sleep hygiene. And there's other tricks to it too, but th that's the basic overall. Um, and then from there, there's cognitive behavior therapy. So we get anxious when we can't sleep. So things like getting up and journaling at night and having gratitude and not turning the lights on, doing that body scan that Lori talked about can be very helpful. Um, those types of things um, can help too. So, um, and, and, and there's counselors and different things because the anxiety sometimes can be a big deal. But always I start with sleep hygiene because there's so much to it. That's fantastic. So the sleep hygiene is really important. So I used to think one that I was just a light sleeper. Um, I wasn't necessarily tired through the day, but when I switched my diet actually to a mm -hmm. plant-based diet eight years ago, I started sleeping much more and less wakening up so much. So that's a really interesting thing you said. It's almost like, you know, the bad food or well, wasn't eating horribly, but the other food was not, it's almost like a caffeine stimulant. I wasn't getting the restful sleep that I thought I was actually achieving. So the other thing is I, um, I interviewed Dotsie Bosch, who was in the Game Changers. I interviewed her yesterday, Friday, and um, she has a documentary you guys should watch. It's really interesting. Um, and it's called Personal Gold, an underdog story. And I was watching in preparation for her interview. And I tell you, these guys went to 2012 Olympics and they won the silver and they were true underdogs. I can't even describe with in a short period of time um, how amazing this is. But what they did was they actually had one coach, their husbands were volunteers and they were like bike mechanics. They didn't have a support system. Uh, they went to Spain to travel and um, to, to actually train together for because the Olympics were in London. And it was interesting. So they reached out to their network and really were asking for volunteers. And so they found people who were specialists in sleep and looking at biohacking in the sense of looking at all their outputs. And so they were learning all sorts of things. And a couple of things with sleep that came out that was really interesting was a cooler temperature. Um, when they got into a cooler temperature, turned down, um, some of them even had like circulating a water and their mattresses and the air conditioning. It was really interesting. Just a couple of degrees lower, people were getting deeper sleep, which allowed them to be more rested, more restorative sleep, which allows them to have greater output when they were training the next day. And when they did that, I mean, it was really interesting to see this huge output change and they were cutting time. So when you're on a track, you know, the, the track cycling, um, they're banking like at 44 degrees. I mean, I mean, I'd be probably scared just to walk on that track, much less ride a bike at 40 miles per hour. Um, but they were, you know, doing that. And so they were cutting seconds and more seconds, which was really, really interesting. But some other things there that was, um, so you're not only going to see more energy, but it really does show an, as an output that they were watching people and how quickly they got into that deeper sleep. It was just really fascinating. I would encourage you guys to, to watch it. It's a, it was truly there's another study, Lori, it's not about a super athlete like her, and she is amazing, so I can't wait to watch her documentary, but um, it was about people who had insomnia, and again, I, I'm not insomnia, but I'm not a good sleeper, and so um, they took all of these people who, who said that they had insomnia and were not good sleepers, they couldn't get their sleep under control, and they took them camping for a weekend, mm. and um, or maybe like five days, um, but they took them camping, and so they had no cell phones, they had no lights, 
except for a fire that they made and they lived the camping life, right? So they were uh, making their own food and socializing, going to bed when it was dark, because maybe reading a little to a flashlight or something, playing, you know, singing some music together, whatever, the camping things, active during the day. Um, and it showed that all of them, 100% by the end of this time that they were there, were sleeping well and now um, their problems had gone away. And so I think of that myself when I can't sleep, I'm like, it's because I'm, I'm not, you know, if, if I were, and I love the camp. So I think if I were camping, I wouldn't be on my cell phone. I wouldn't be working, working online and stressed out and thinking what time is my alarm set for and, and all these things I, you know, and it's, that shows us how dramatic, how we live affects how we sleep and then how we feel overall. So I think about that all the time. Like, and so we need to be like campers. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a, a beautiful sentiment to getting out in nature, right? So we need to be active outside because I know when I exercise, I obviously sleep better that night because my body's like, it's time to go to sleep. So I can rest and do this again, again in the morning. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, just even an evening walk with your family, plus the sun's coming down, it's getting, you know, your, your pineal gland and the brain's going, oh, sun's going down. I need to get in preparation for sleep. Um, and so that's just some other things to consider, but see, that's a really good one, Lori, people who don't exercise, don't sleep as well. So mm -hmm. your body is designed to exercise and use up the energy that it has in your muscles, and then it sleeps to recover. So as part of recovery, so that is another good one for people to get outdoors and to get moving every day. Cool. And Kip said at uh, Dr. Miller, the camping reference was mentioned in the circadian code by Dr. Sachin Panda, oh, yeah. which I found to be excellent. I read that book too, Kip, and I love it. it there's so many really interesting tips in there that uh, the, how much of a circadian rhythm our bodies are, it's so interesting. So Cool. Yeah, I'm going to get that good. Yeah. It's I, really I love this. Book. <laughs> um, you should see I have literally a huge stacked up library. Okay. I just want to get to the next few questions. So Angela, she did post a question that she said not to answer, but Angela, I'm going to go ahead and answer because I think a lot of people have that question. I hope you don't mind. Um, she says, what's your opinion on tofu? I eat about two blocks a week, probably too much as it's not a whole food, but actually it is a whole food. Um, I would consider it a whole food, um, maybe a tired process, but honestly, um, that's a fine amount to eat. Uh, three to five servings a day of a soy product would be okay. Um, unless Chris, you have anything else to add to that, but that's, that should I agree. It's a really good food. And there's so many benefits that we know now. The only yeah. people I say not to is um, it, people with uh, messed up guts. So a lot of auto, my autoimmune patients, myself included back in the day, but um, it can be a food sensitivity. So if it bothers yeah. you and it causes problems directly after you eat it, then you want to hold off for a little while until your gut gets healthier. But no, it's a wonderful food otherwise. Absolutely. And as I'll be 50 this year, if you are hitting those perimenopausal symptoms as women go through these changes, because of those phytoestrogens, which decrease risk for breast cancer and things like that, it can also help with those menopausal symptoms. So guys, I eat tofu every day or tofu and soy products. So I'm just saying. I love eat. tofu. <laughs> I'm actually, uh, I'm just made some marinade to put us on some tofu today right. and stir fried vegetables. Anthony, I, I feel like you need a new tofu recipe for us. <laughs> okay. And then Angela also says, I'm looking for a specific nutrition plan. I'm already plant-based and want to take it further. Mitochondria, hormones, anti-aging, reduce inflammation, optimal health. I have done hours upon hours of research, but I cannot find these answers. So Chris, do you want to speak to maybe um, like what you would consider an optimal plant-based diet? And I can kind of chime in on some other yeah. things too. Angela, those are great questions. You and I sound like we'd be good friends because I myself read that stuff all the time too. I feel like I can't get enough of it as well. Um, and that's great. You're totally right. So the mitochondria are the powerhouses inside of our cells. And there's, there's data now that we can increase um, how, how well they function as well as the number of them in the cells. And so that's something we're thinking of. And now this chronic fatigue or the fatigue that we feel, a lot of people feel that certainly autoimmune people feel as well. Um, it's not due to um, their adrenals fatiguing, but it's it's due to the, the mitochondria not functioning optimally. And so eating and living to optimize your mitochondria is actually really important. And um, a big thing that suppresses mitochondria helps. So your mitochondria are putting out energy, that's their job. But if you're in a stressful mode and stress can mean lots of things. It can mean poor nutrition. Your body's under stress from poor, not having the nutrients. It can mean your thoughts. You were worried about everything going on, how you're perceiving what's going on right now. That's stress. It can mean being in an improper environment, being too cold, too hot all the time. It can mean not getting sleep 
proper sleep, that's going to be stress on your body. So whatever stressful environment that you have, your mitochondria are no longer going to put out energy the way they're supposed to. They're going to guard themselves. They're going to shelter down just like we're all doing right now, right? We're all in defense mode as well. We're under stress, so we're in defense mode. So our mitochondria do the same thing and they don't put out the energy. So our goal, if we wanna um, work on mitochondrial health is to put out, help them put out more energy. And so that is done through diet. So the anti-inflammatory diet, um, which I do have some tips on that that we'll talk about, but it's not all that different from whole food diet, but it's a little, just a little bit, but it's also really dealing with our, how we perceive stress our stress management, getting the exercise, getting the sleep, the lifestyle things. They're so crucial because they're so crucial. They play a role everywhere. Getting sunlight, actually the sunlight and the red light penetrates into the mitochondria and re-stimulate them, making sure we're not nutrient deficient in anything. Um, the B vitamins, the, um, the, the minerals, um, these are essential and, and the mitochondria need them, but we get that from our diet. So again, the good whole food plant-based diet, but something else that makes them quiet down and not work well is inflammation. So those of us walking around with chronic inflammation are not going to have the energy or mitochondria are not going to be as healthy. Um, and so there, so it is, it's combined your questions on anti-aging and, and inflammation and mitochondria, they're all, they're very related. So um, as we deal with an anti-inflammatory healing diet, as we heal our guts and get the microbiome in balance and heal the gut lining, as we're dealing with our stress and we're getting quality sleep, all of this is reducing inflammation, which is helping our mitochondria. So it's part of that health as well, which is also anti-aging because we're now functionally optimally. So um, they all play into, in, 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 um, together. So when we do, when I work with someone and help them with a plan, um, I start with a general anti-inflammatory healing plan, which is a whole food plant-based diet. But I do look at it because I myself had so many food sensitivities and triggers and a lot of stress and I couldn't eat whole food plant-based. So, so many of them made my inflammation worse, at least initially. And so individualizing it to removing potential triggers at the beginning, foods that can be more inflammatory, really hitting the the anti-inflammatory foods a little bit harder at the beginning and um, watching as a, how a person progresses and while we're working on the whole lifestyle factors at the same time. So um, each person might look a little bit different at the beginning, depending on where we're coming from. No, I think that's, those are all really good. You're exactly right. So um, I would say, you know, what do you mean by taking it a little bit further? Um, of course, even a whole food plant-based diet is going to increase the length of your telomeres. So telomeres are, think about um, your shoes. So if you have some shoestrings and there's these little plastic caps at the end of them, they are there to protect your shoestrings, right? So when they pop off or they're topped off after wear, your shoestrings will fray. And so what happens if we eat a whole food plant-based diet, what we're finding is that the telomeres actually are on the caps at the end of our DNA which is our genes. And they actually can get longer and they last longer. And that is your aging. So when those pop off or they're worn down on your DNA, the DNA can actually begin to die and the cell dies. So that's actually increasing um, or fast forwarding our aging. So if we can slow down that process, that's the beauty of a whole food plant-based diet. And so that's as far as the anti-aging. Um, I would say if there's specific things that um, are bothersome to you individually, um, that would be a great opportunity to to work with Dr. Miller and myself and let us help you really tweak and get you on track. You know, for example, I've worked with um, one patient of mine who was a um, professional triathlete, and she was really struggling with certain things. She wasn't plant-based. We got her plant-based, but then we had to tweak a little bit for her because of her training. And so each person to be a little different, their demands on their life, their time, there's a previous, uh, you know, sickness or things like that. Genetics also, there might be a little bit of things going on there, food sensitivities. So um, definitely would be uh, something to reach out for us if you want to ask us. Um, let's see here. There was another question from Andrea. Another helpful thought is that life is all about change. Just accepting and nothing is permanent and always susceptible to change is a way to transform our perception of change and to see it as a natural course of life. Exactly. That's um, good. Yep. It may help us to let go of being attached to what was before and instead allow what is now to be and to be mm -hmm. okay. So that is a big, that's a big one. So people who, yes, you know, I, I consider that, you know, people who review and regret 
past decisions. Um, my grandmother was the worst about that. I always said, I don't want to live regretting life. She would regret things she did as a teenager. I was like, this is not a way to be living into your seventies. <laughs> you know, you, these are things we have to let go. They're done. And you ask yourself, what's the story that I'm telling myself? What's the benefit of me doing this? And just having this very gentle conversation with yourself and just asking some simple questions really helps you process through that. And of course, sometimes we need additional help like as, as form of a therapist or a good friend who will hold true to what you're saying and um, be kind in their responses, but also you know, give that honest feedback in a gentle way. So you know, that's where the community is really important and they can, because your memory is also of an event, may not actually be how it actually went down. And so that's really helpful too, um, to always have the community and friends and speaking about what's happened. But just some additional thoughts there. Andrew, I love that. And you know, just to add on to what Lori just yeah. said, um, that's a big thing with people trying with cancer and autoimmune diseases because it's a major stressor. It does keep your stress hormones elevated. It keeps your, um, your gut, you know, your mind, body thought, um, disrupted. It's not as healthy as it, as it should be. And just like what you're saying, ruminating like that and holding on and not living in the moment. And um, something I've been working on too, because forgiveness is about forgiving yourself as well. And for some of the things that you did that maybe weren't the best choices you ever made. But um, so that is, that's a really good point that you made. So thank you for bringing that, but it's, it's really important. And we have, I've worked on with my patients on whole programs to help them with that, with others, with themselves, right? Whether we write letters and we explore deep, you know, much deeper and, and, and really truly forgive to get that healing. So that's a, that's a good yeah, one. Yeah. And forgiveness is a big one for me. Um, I think, you know, because I came from a very um, difficult upbringing. And so, you know, it just because someone was, you know, brutal to you or, you know, maybe had stress and trauma as a child, you may forgive, but it doesn't mean you have to integrate those people back in your life, or that doesn't mean that you're like, oh, things hunky-dory, and I just have to take it. What it means is that you forgive the circumstances, that person, you know, and you forgive them in the sense that I'm not going to allow this to harm me any longer. And when you do that, it took me into my 40s to do that. It is such a... Um, release of stress that you're just like this, like you talk about being closed all the time. It's like, huh, I can, I've yeah. been released from my own mind to move on. And those people are not going to hold me captive anymore. I allowed them to hold me captive. So those are just some things. And, and we could go into, I know we should have a whole talk about that. That's just the, the mind health yeah. and trust me, I've yeah. been through plenty of that, but it's just some, just some thoughts there. Um, so Jessica says, what are the more inflammatory foods to avoid at first in healing the gut? Good question, Jessica. Thank you. Um, so the inflammatory foods, one, this is why we go whole, one of the, re one of the many reasons we go whole food plant-based um, that we recommend that. So pro-inflammatory foods are foods like dairy products. Dairy is probably like number one for triggering the gut. Um, it, it, ca it actually causes local inflammation pretty much right after you have it. Even people who don't have gut um, gut issues and don't even notice it. And it was interesting. They did a study in Italy and they found 85% of people had lactose intolerance of some sort or had low, um, were getting inflammation from the dairy, but they're all drinking their espressos with milk. So they were just living with it. People weren't even complaining of it. So um, it's so pro-inflammatory. So all dairy and dairy products. And some people will have, oh, I just have a little bit of cream um, in my coffee, but it, it really has to be all dairy. It's, it's even a little bit can still affect it. So that's one. Um, gluten tends to be very pro-inflammatory for people who have disrupted guts. So a healthy person, gluten is good. It's just a protein. It has benefits. And we know from studies that people who eat um, whole grains, all whole grains, including gluten-containing ones, um, actually have less cardiovascular disease, less cancer, less diabetes, and age well. So it's not gluten inherently that's that's bad, but once the gut is disrupted, as all with all of us with these weird conditions, autoimmune issues, and uh, so many other things, once it's disrupted, then the gluten um, will causes the um, tight junctions to separate a little bit, it releases some proteins and, and causes the leaky gut to get worse. So um, I temporarily take it on in people and many I do check um, if they have actual celiac disease and others, I just we just remove it temporarily. And as pe people heal 
their guts and their inflammation quiets down and their um, situation, whatever, whether it's autoimmune or gut issues or something else, headaches or acne or cardiovascular disease. But when that quiets down, they can try to reintroduce a little bit of gluten and see how they do. Um, so that's another one. Meat is very pro-inflammatory, all animal products, including eggs, including fish. And it's because one of the reasons, there's several, but one of the reasons is the arachidonic acid in it. Um, arachidonic acid is an omega-6 fatty acid, which is pro-inflammatory. We're trying to increase, we're really ramping up the omega-3 fatty acids, really emphasizing it. And so we want to, we really want to lower those omega-6 fatty acids. So um, those are taken out at the beginning. Processed foods, and this was a problem for me because I still like to eat a little bit of health, healthy cracker or, you know, I would try to sneak in something and I always felt worse afterwards. So it was like, my body was like, no. Um, but the processing foods, there's um, a lot of reasons. Even if you buy the really healthy ones that are um, that don't have added chemicals and additives to it, but it's just in the overcooking of it, the overbaking of it, that it no longer has nutrition in, in it, and it takes it actually causes oxidative stress to break it down, digest it. So, so processed foods, but also processed foods are going to have the chemicals and the additives and the food colors and the, all of that, and even things like um, aluminum. If you buy a, a gluten-free, plant-based, vegan muffin, that it might have aluminum in it. It might have, um, and that, and it might have other stabilizers in it, which are going to affect your microbiome directly and can worsen some of the inflammation. So processed foods really got to go. So luckily, there's a ton of whole food, plant-based foods that we can make easily, pre-make, and have ready to go. So we have plenty to eat without processed foods. Oils are another big one, also very, very pro-inflammatory to the gut. So that's got to go at the beginning um, as well if we want to get healing. And what I find is people will take out one or two or three foods and say, it didn't make a difference. I took out dairy or gluten. It didn't make a difference. But if you're still eating oils and eating a lot of animal protein, you're still going to have the inflammation. So you won't know. So you really want to take out those pro-inflammatory foods at the beginning, which is good because it fills you with the space to add all these colorful, wonderful fruits and veggies and whole grains and all this other um, good stuff that we're eating on a whole food plant-based diet and allow your gut to quiet down. And that might not be enough for people, but that's a sort of a starting place at least. And then we get into individual stuff and some more specific based on what's going on. Absolutely. And if you struggle, you know, people, sometimes they can get a tad overwhelmed when you say, whole food plant-based diet and they're like i can't do this well i personally did it overnight but that's my personality if you haven't figured that out yeah it's like let's get it done let's i'm done so for others though you have to ease into it right so chris maybe some ideas would be doing breakfast first and then what foods would you encourage people to eat for like a breakfast and then maybe a breakfast lunch dinner so any any particular foods that you find if they're going to just ease into it maybe they should focus on it totally depends if you ask me that because I work with a lot of people with pretty severe autoimmune issues and pretty messed up guts, myself included, whereas even a whole food plant-based diet bothered me. But a relatively healthy person who's just easing into it, who just wants to improve gut health overall and overall health, um, for, so, and again, to back up a step more even, I think of it as three meals a day. It doesn't have to be breakfast. Okay, breakfast foods, lunch foods, dinner foods. It's three meals. You get three opportunities to eat. And so your first meal can be a soup that you made, a plant-based whole food soup that you made the, you know, over the weekend and you have some frozen and you heat it up for breakfast. I personally love to have a soup for breakfast in the morning now. It can be a salad. It can be leftover dinner from the night before, whatever whole food plant-based thing you had. It can be oatmeal. We love oatmeal with berries. It can be a fruit plate with some seeds on top of it, a nice treat in summertime. We can get fresh fruit for sure. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of different things you can do for breakfast. Human HHR, your guys' website has a lot of um, recipes. Many of them I got from Anthony myself personally, but, um, you, but you can get a lot of different things like that for breakfast. And it, it should be a good solid meal, I think. And then lunch is a good solid meal. Um, and again, we're all different. Some people don't want to do so much for breakfast, but so you can do it your own way. But um, lunch is your second meal, so another chance to get something in. So you can start by just adding color in, start crowding out the other foods. Like if you maybe decide, okay, I'm just going to do dairy right now. So you just take dairy out. And so now you're going to make recipes. You're going to try to substitute what could you do instead of where you added the dairy. So you can start with one step at a time, adding in, trying new meals. Same thing with dinner. You try new meals. You learn to batch cook. You cook big amounts all at once. So that you don't have to be cooking all the time and you have it frozen, you have it ready to go. And you just start playing with these meals and you start crowding out one thing at a time. That seems to work for people. So I'll follow up with them in a couple weeks. Okay, I took dairy out. Awesome. And they're like, Chris, I eat brownies still, but I didn't put dairy in. I'm like, awesome. You did it then. That's great. 
what did you add in that was good? Oh, I added in more berries and I got colors of the rainbow in every meal. Awesome. Like that's progress. We'll take it. Like, I don't care if they still had oil or meat for dinner. Like at this point, that's not where we are. We're, we're celebrating that victory. And then, okay, what are we going to tackle next? Okay. What are we going to tackle next? And, and keep adding in the good stuff and crowding out the bad because, and if you set a goal for yourself, as long as you get to that goal, it's okay how you get there. You do it like Lori did overnight. Um, I did it overnight too, but I was really sick. I felt like this is my, this was my only chance I had, but people do it all different ways. And I see success all different ways. The goal is to be sustainable. You don't want to go on a crash diet or crash plant-based diet where you do it for a month and then boom, you feel deprived and you go back to your old foods. You want to build new habits new, and make this sustainable, make this your life and make it who you are now. And this is just how I am. This is just what I eat. So it's not even hard anymore. So um, you can build a plan any way that you want. That's perfect. I think you definitely covered it. It's fab fabulous. Um, another question, what is your opinion on taking melatonin if you can't seem to slow down before bed? Um, so melatonin is designed, it's not designed as a sleeping pill. Um, it's, it's a hormone, first of all. So you always want to be careful when you're messing with your hormones, but it's designed to help you um, let go of being awake, if that makes sense. And so it's been proven to be beneficial with people with jet lag when you're changing time zones. Um, that's where uh, melatonin can be really helpful. And I, f I find it is helpful for people who have a hard time le letting go of being awake. But if you say that you, you can't, um, let go of being awake, then I, I start saying, well, why not? What can we do to let go of being awake? Because what we found from studies, real melatonin that our bodies secrete lowers um, risk of breast cancer, lowers risk of other cancers. It's very incredibly beneficial. And the real melatonin, and it, it's called like the master hormone because it, it keeps the other hormones in check. Other hormones that during the day are running rampant are insulin levels or our stress hormones. So many different hormones are going rampant during the day. And when the melatonin kicks in, it's like, all right, guys, dudes, calm it down. And so we need real melatonin to do that. Fake melatonin, that supplement doesn't necessarily have those same benefits. So um, in that sense, it's, it's not a good supplement at all. I mean, it's not a good substitute. You want the real deal. So you really do want to work on things like sleep hygiene, like we talked about quieting your mind down. Like if you're, if you're dealing with your kids and you're putting them to bed and you got work to do at some point when the kids are in bed, you turn off the computer, you know, your health is more important. You're not gonna be able to do your work if you're not healthy. So you really do want to work on quieting down overall. But that being said, I do use melatonin for some patients and um, watch how they do. It's, it's, I always start with a really low dose. The studies show that just 0.2 to 0.5 milligrams um, up to maybe two milligrams is what's beneficial. So if you're not getting a result with more than that, that you really don't want to keep pushing it, people are getting five and 10 milligrams. And again, this is a hormone. So each hormone are intricately related to other hormones. So you want to be careful just taking high amounts. Um, an added benefit of melatonin, which is really cool, and it goes along with the circadian rhythm, is it helps heal our guts. So people with leaky gut and um, um, even people with heartburn, it kind of coats and soothes and helps heal the gut. And so, and I find that interesting. Again, melatonin is the master hormone. It's on it at nighttime is when it kicks in and it's helping our guts heal. And I said, one of the things that happens at night is we heal our gut. So the hormone's been shown to be actually a little bit helpful for that too. So um, if people aren't sleeping well, one, I would really work on sleep hygiene. You, you don't want to be on that melatonin all the time. It's not beneficial. You, you never want to be on something like that all the time. So, um, but you can try it temporarily here and there. If you're having a hard time with the stress, everything going on right now, really ramp up your, your sleep hygiene, your self-care. And if you want to play with a small amount of melatonin, and then if you're traveling or you have certain times, um, it might be beneficial. Um, so then to use it a little bit. I couldn't agree more. I haven't found that melatonin is all that helpful for patients. So you're just, again, taking something and remember, every supplement, you have to consider this also almost a medication, right? Because you're taking your chain and you're putting an extra link in it. You're, you're causing a chain to change. You're causing the system to, to tweak a little bit. So sometimes that's important, which will kind of be a nice segue to the next question. But other times it can cause a problem. So just, you know, that, just some thoughts there. So um, Alejandra says, um, how often should one get their vitamin levels checked? Um, should all plant-based people supplement certain vitamins or minerals? So um, I know Chris and I are very much on the same page on this. And absolutely, you should be taking at the minimal B12. Um, you should probably be checked at least once a year. Um, if you find that you're too high, you can back off the amount just a little bit. But anywhere from usually 350, depending on the age, to 350 to 500 micrograms daily is going to be enough of the B12. 
And most Americans, at least for those of us who live north of a certain latitude, um, are going to be vitamin D deficient. And again, I, before I would supplement, I would say certainly be checked, um, especially for dealing with depression that also has an immune response. So, you know, but supplement only vitamin D can be very helpful with that. So those would be the two minimal ones, I would say, um, for sure. Chris, do you have any other thoughts on vitamin and minerals for certain? Those, and I can go through the others that we might want to actually. Yeah, so you know, I agree with what you're saying. So those are the first two. And then there are others that we're, because we're all different, that some people don't metabolize them as well or, or take them up. And you, I'll let you explain what those are. But, um, and it would also be as far as when you check them, um, that depends on the person. If, if someone is healthy and has energy and is feeling great, I'm not necessarily going to check their nutrients all the time, every year even. Um, I will keep an eye on the D3 and I will keep an eye on the B12. But if I check it and they're feeling amazing and they're eating well and I know they're taking they're doing well. I'm not, they don't need to repeat it. But that being said, if people are, are having problems, so if they're fatigued or they're not thriving, they're saying their hair is brittle or breaking or their skin's breaking, I might check omega-3 fatty acids. I might check a little deeper into, are they absorbing it? What are they eating? I'll look exactly what they're eating, a, a food symptom plate um, diary. And then we might, we might delve into checking them a little bit more or autoimmune people. You know, we have to figure when we're starting out as an autoimmune or an IBS, if you're having gut issues or heartburn, you're not absorbing, you're not digesting and absorbing um, and assimilating the nutrients way you're supposed to. So at that point, you want to really enhance the nutrition you take in and perhaps a little extra nutrition um, nutrients uh, supplement at the beginning. And then we want to get your, your body corrected and into balance. And then um, you, you shouldn't need them as much, but we watch a lot is how you're feeling. Yeah. So I would say the things that, you know, I always talk to my patients about is one, when you eat a whole food plant-based diet, a well varied, a, var a variety of colors, a variety of the different types of groups, you know, whole grains, your beans, your legumes, your vegetables, your fruits, and some nuts and seeds. For the majority, that's 99.9% .9 of everything you need. Okay. So then we top it off with B12 and maybe some vitamin D. Um, again, like Chris said, some individually issues, some other issues might be iodine. Um, you just need a tiny amount. Um, if you don't like eating kelp and different things, or if you don't use iodized salt, you might actually become deficient. So that might be a very small thing to consider. Um, again, you, want, you don't want to overdo it because that can cause some problems with your thyroid health as well. Your DHA, um, these are talking about your omega-3s, your EPA. Um, I found a certain number of people that went on a whole food plant-based diet I would say probably over the eight years I've been doing this, maybe eight to 12, if I think back of all the different patients, will end up with joint discomfort. Um, they're eating all appropriate non-processed foods. I added ground flaxseed. They may have already been doing, but I also added the omega-3s and it went away. So there's some things there to consider. Those are individualized. It's a very small amount of people that transition to whole plant-based diet. Um, zinc is another one. Um, so I wouldn't, that's why I eat pumpkin seeds every day. It's a great source of zinc. So look at those type of things. Um, the things I mentioned here are, again, like I said, these are the might be them things that might be a little bit lower in a whole food plant-based diet is some people, especially if they don't like certain foods. Selenium, um, is another one. You can eat a couple of Brazil nuts a week and you're good there. <laughs> um, not the a day. Not a yeah, day. not a day, just a couple of weeks because there's a lot of selenium in these Brazil nuts. Um, K2. So K2 is different from vitamin K. It's K2. It's very important for bone health. Um, oftentimes you can get a D3 K2 supplement. So if you're, you have osteoporosis or something like that, it might be an additional thing to consider supplementing as well. Um, so iodine, D3, selenium, zinc, magnesium. I think that's pretty much all the ones that I really focus on. I do like adding... Um, people to consider, you know, these are going to kind of go to spices, however, would be turmeric and ginger, especially if you have migraines, that's very helpful. Um, and then if you have a lot of inflammation, like if you have someone with arthritis or any type of rheumatoid arthritis, especially, those tend to work very well. And they're also very good for the gut. But I've had migraine patients who take the ginger, and I like mixing it with the turmeric as well. It really helps calm down the migraines. So with the whole food plant-based diet. With the whole food plant-based diet. Well, I will say a friend of mine who I'm transitioning over, um, she she has headaches, but we we were also, but she also has really severe joint discomfort. And she said she would wake up all night because of these this joint pain. And so I talked to her about, you know, using there's one particular one I like you can get on Amazon. Um, 
pizza called turmeric complex as ginger turmeric and black pepper in it like 15 bucks um and i told her to take one twice a day it'll help with some of the inflammation and yes black pepper can definitely it 2000 fold increase your absorption of the turmeric so but with that she said now her hands just quit hurting and she's able to sleep through the night so now we're talking how pain also disrupts sleep right so now we're now she's actually moving. She's showing, she's sending me text pictures of all her food she's eating. She's like, I, okay, that, that worked. I'm really curious now what will happen. And so that's really exciting to see someone just one little tweak, have this amazing thing, decrease pain, improve sleep, more energy. Do you, now do you see where the cycle begins? And that's the beauty of switching to whole food plant-based diet is you start the snowball and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And before you know it, your whole world has changed. And so that's why we are so passionate about, you know, sharing this message. And Anthony and I, we, and Chris, and we're starting this plant-based telehealth because we really want to bring that message to everybody. So, but Kip, yes, thank you for the, the reminder that adding black pepper does multiply the effect of the turmeric. So. Although with Kip, related to that, I do use um, turmeric just, I actually love, I'm a whole food person. I always tell people like as much as I can get from food. So I use um, turmeric root and I peel it. And there's a good study that shows um, people with kidney disease, actually lupus nephritis, but um, a quarter inch piece of turmeric before their meals actually decreased the amount of kidney inflammation that they had. So I read that study. So I started to follow that like, okay, that's, yeah, that's real science. So um, I did that quarter inch before meals and I definitely noticed a significant difference. And so I tell my patients that one, it's cheaper. We're not always buying supplements. And um, it also um, is important because the whole food has more benefits than just the turmeric supplement, the curcumin. And when we eat food, um, especially if we have a damaged gut, it causes inflammation. There's always a little bit of inflammation with eating. So that's why fasting works so well when we're not eating, we feel better. But um, so that little bit of turmeric right before a meal is actually helpful. And you don't need the black pepper. If you're eating the turmeric with fat in your meal, if you have even just a touch of nuts and seeds or avocado, um, you don't need the black pepper with it. And you'll, and if you don't have the black pepper or the turmeric, it helps locally with the inflammation in your gut. So there's other benefits to it. So you can play with that too. Um, yeah. For those who don't, the, the that particular supplement is actually just the turmeric root ground up for those who don't like the flavor of those kind of spicy foods. Um, but yeah, it's, you're exactly right. There's so many benefits to even the whole ginger. Like I love using ginger and you can actually guys keep it in the freezer and chop out. Cause you know, you'll use a little bit at a time. Um, cause it's pretty strong, but the ginger is, you know, it was an eighth of a teaspoon that was helping, uh, the migraine patients in the studies I was reading. So. Yeah, amazing. it's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. The power of food. Gosh, it's crazy. Well, we want to thank everyone. We have no more open questions. Um, and so we're going to go ahead. It's been close to just a little over an hour. And I want to say thank you to everyone for attending. And um, we hope to see you next week. And if you have any particular suggestions, we haven't decided on our topic yet. We'd be happy to take those or maybe we'll just do a free for all of recipes or whatever. So, but we're super helpful, um, Chris, for everything that you've been sharing with us. And we want to thank you. For yeah, that. thank you. It's a pleasure. And it's, it, it's fun to have you guys here and participate with us. So thank you for coming along and sharing with, with us too. And we will be, this has been recorded. So these will actually be going up on our uh, YouTube page and also the website, but you can check out, please subscribe to the plant-based telehealth. We're just starting YouTube page and we're just doing learning the editing process and what we want to do to make this really beneficial for people. So please check us out. And uh, like I said, if you need a whole plant-based diet, Chris and I are covering at least 30 states. We have additional doctors joining us in the next few weeks, and we can't wait to share who those are because it's very exciting. And um, I think you guys are going to really uh, continue to enjoy these webinars because I sure know I am. So yeah, thank you. All right. And uh, you guys have a great day. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.